MSW Media. Friends, before we get jamming with today's episode, I want to remind you that our friends at Murphy Good Winery are offering you the chance to win the job of a lifetime. That's right. Have you always wanted to live in breathtaking Sonoma wine country with a $10,000 per month salary rent-free for a year? Yeah, that's right. If wine country's calling your name, tell Murphy Good why you want a really good job. You're going to pitch them your passion, then your profession. To apply for this job, you got to go to murphygoodwinery.com. You pull out your camera. You film a little video. Tell them why you're the best candidate for it. And again, if you win... You're going to be living out there for a year, rent-free, making ten grand a month with a year's supply of wine. Forgot to mention that, too. Again, murphygoodwinery.com. Apply for a really good job you have until the end of June to do it. So what are you waiting for? Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. Time to have some fun Let's do a little thinking Some picking and a drinking But this is what we're drinking With Dan Dunn (laughs) Welcome to the show It's good to have you here it's good to be here. Coming up a little bit later, I'm going to be speaking with Jay Ersman. He's the co-founder of New Riff. They make whiskey. Family-owned business. I like having family-owned businesses. Jay assures me that it's always going to be fair. They're never going to sell out to the big boys. He said he swears that's the case. So I'm going to hear all about what it's like for a for a family-owned business to make it. In the big bad world of booze. Got a uh, some news. Breaking We've been doing live recordings of the show sp- sporadically at the Stand Comedy Club in New York City. Well, now we're going to be doing a live recording out here on the West Coast in Venice Beach, California, Los Angeles area. That's right. Wednesday, July 13th, night before my birthday be doing what we're drinking with Dan Dunn and friends at the townhouse in Venice. The friends are comedian Brad Williams, comedian Kim Congdon, and very funny man and entertainer, host, former host of Three Sheets and Drinking Made Easy, Zane Lamprey, will also be there, and some other special guests. We're going to have some opening comedians and whatnot. It's sponsored by our friends at Rabbit Hole. We'll be giving out rabbit hole cocktails there. It's going to be a great night. For tickets, go to the Townhouse Venice, and you'll see it there. Shows, and you click on that, and you can get tickets. It's $20, and that gets you a complimentary cocktail. So it's basically free. It's a wash. I would love to see you there. If you're here in the Los Angeles area on July 13th, please come to the show. Starts at 8 o'clock at night. All right. Speaking of podcasts, I was walking the dog earlier today, and I was I like to listen to podcasts when I walk not just my own, I, I got this this one I'm, I'm sort of fascinated with, a morbid fascination with this podcast. It's called Black Box Down. Okay, this is a podcast about air disasters hosted by 
Gustavo Sorolo and Chris Demarais. I think I'm saying that right. So uh, Gustavo Sorolo, he's the resident expert on the show, and Chris serves as a proxy for the listener. Okay. Each episode is about a plane crash, and some of these are you know infamous crashes. We most of us have heard of them. The one I was listening to today when I was walking the dog is about one that hits close to home was uh, an Alaska Airlines flight that crashed off the coast of Malibu by Zuma Beach back in 2000, right after not, January 2000, not long after I moved here. You remember this is the plane that it went upside down and they were flying upside down and the pilots were incredibly cool. They maintained their composure, but that upside down maneuver was sort of the inspiration for that movie Flight starring Denzel Washington. So they talk, they they break down these crashes in great detail. They walk us through what went wrong, and they also take talk about post-crash steps that were taken to pre- prevent future disasters happening. And it, so, you know, the subject matter is morbid. It really, it's so more. I feel dirty a little bit when I listen to this because look, in most cases, people died, and in, in some of those cases, a whole lot of people died. Not many people survive you know, plane crashes. And the hosts, Gustavo and Chris, they're, they're these affable dudes, and they they talk about these disasters in a, a very matter-of-fact way. I, I wouldn't say they're being insensitive, but the, the overall vibe is like loose and chatty. They're, they're cracking jokes, and it, it's certainly not somber. I, maybe it has to be that way. I don't know. I mean, the result of what happened in, in these crashes is, is usually pretty horrific. But what led to them is fascinating. I guess it would be weird to hear these guys, you know, talking us through that in like hushed, reverential tones. It has to be almost clinical, I guess. And um, it's, yeah, Black Box Down is the name of the podcast. I would not recommend listening to this podcast if you're traveling. If you're going to be getting on a plane, I would not listen to it <laughs> because in some cases is one the, the Alaska Airlines went down because of a there was a bolt in in the the stabilizer that was worn out needed to be replaced and they didn't replace it and that caused the plane to crash and 88 people died on that crash everybody feeling good right now you need a drink <laughs> jesus um uh, bringing you down that's what i do um before we get to Jay from New Riff, I got some news. I mean, not it's not my news. It's news I want to tell you about. In in the booze biz, I was I get these uh, I get a lot of email dispatches from WSWA Wine and Spirits Wholesalers Association, and there's news, and some of it I think is fascinating. So, I, the one article I just was reading was from Vine Pair about the countries that drank the most scotch in 2021. Olivia White wrote this piece, came out. Uh, last week and so there was two met two metrics they have here the most valuable scotch markets the ones that spent the most money and and then the top 10 scotch markets by volume who drank the most so the most valuable most money was spent was right here in these united states almost a billion dollars 950 million dollars spent on scotch in the u.s in 2021 followed by France, which is way far, we, almost, we're, we doubled France. France was at $464 million. And then you got Taiwan, Singapore, China, Latvia, Germany, India, Japan, and Spain. 
rounding out the top 10 most valuable scotch markets. Now, the top 10 markets by volume, we are not number one. We are not. France, 176 million 700 milliliter bottles sold. 176 million. Followed by India at 136 million, then the United States at 126 million. And then the rest of the list, Brazil, Japan, Spain, Mexico, Germany, Poland, and Russia. Now you know where where all the scotch is going. Another article in Vine Pair that I found interesting was the global alcohol sales in 2021. $1.17 trillion. The other news in the same article is that whiskey is set to pass vodka as the most off-quaffed spirit here in America. But yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, the COVID hit in 2020 and you, you didn't know it was going to happen. But uh, IWSR drinks market analysis said global beverage alcohol volume grew by 3% in 2021 and total global beverage alcohol value grew by 12%. Again, $1.17 trillion. Jesus, people are drinking. Uh, and in terms of this whiskey being bigger than vodka, says by the end of 2022, whiskey will be bigger than vodka by volume in the United States for the first time in almost two decades. Take that, vodka. Whiskey's back, baby. It accounted for almost 25% of all global spirits volume in 2021 and it is expected to continue growing. Next five years are saying the value growth of over 29%. But by the end of 2022, whiskey will will overtake vodka in terms of volume. So there you go. But wait, what's this news? And there's more news. It says in the United States, agave-based spirits will be more valuable than whiskey by the end of the year. Valuable, we're talking about. Because tequila consumption has good. Anybody who listens to this show regularly knows every celebrity, almost every celebrity that starts a brand starts an agave brand, tequila or mezcal. They're going crazy with it. And uh, it says that tequila consumption has increased in the United States by over 30% in the last five years. And in 2021, agave-based spirits saw higher levels of growth than expected. The sector is one of the top three largest spirits categories in America, behind vodka and whiskey. But the United States is the world's most valuable market for agave-based spirits. And by the end of 2022, the category is slated to become more valuable domestically than whiskey. That's not that we're going to drink more of it, but it's going to be more valuable. They're they're saying over the next five years, the category is forecasted to grow an additional 67%. Jesus Christ. I feel like I'm contributing to that. I do like me some agave spirits. In fact, I'm going to go down and visit our friends at Fortaleza towards the end of the summer. Be reporting from you down there. All right, one more bit of news. What was that? Frog in my throat. Hold on, let me drown this frog in coffee. Hold on. Mm. Oh, this is not news. It's more like information. Um, I came across an article in Tasting Table about how to tell if your wine has gone bad. These are things we've talked about. I've talked about it in my book, American Wino, shameless plug. Feel free to buy it. Available everywhere. Books are sold. But it's simple. You might know all this stuff. And so these are the things that are going to, you can tell specific signs to look for if you're determining if your wine has gone bad okay first up oxygen if your wine has a dull flavors aromas it looks brownish it's likely oxidized and that means the wine was exposed to too much oxygen okay 
the, you get those skunky aroma notes, burnt matches, rotten eggs, burnt garlic, all that stuff. That is a lack of oxygen during winemaking. That leads to a sulfur imbalance, and that's where you get that those shitty rotten egg smell from. Uh, what else can cause your wine? Cork taint. You've heard the term corked. Now, only about 5% of wines are corked. And I don't know how much you know about cork stoppers, but they come from this bark of a tree in, in uh, Portugal. That's where they make corks. And the cork gets infected with these compounds. And it, it, it interacts in a fungus, and you get this thing called uh, TCA, cork taint. You know it. Like, if you smell it, it's musty, and wet newspaper. And once you get that smell in your nose, you're never going to forget that nose. It dampens the, the, the TCA dampens the vibrant aromas and the flavors of the wine. It's flat. If you get that. Now, if you get a wine with synthetic corks, it can't be good. Never, ever will that, will that cause that taint. Volatile acidity. Yeah. Can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. But if you got some volatile acidity in there, uh, that is a bad thing. It's generally in like table wines, you know, uh, it's just, it messes it up, uh, kind of gets this vinegar type quality to it. And you don't want that. Um, <laughs> they call it bread. I can't bread it. Bread anomaly. I can't say the name. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's another fungus yeast thing. And if you get bread, they call it bread yeast. It gives you this sort of wet horse, funky barnyard, metallic bandaidy aroma. Not always a flaw, but most of the time it's a flaw. Yeah, I mean, the good time is you get this sort of gamey bacon smoky note, then it's a gift. But most of the time, uh, it is not good. And if you look at the wine, you just look at the wine. Most wines are translucent. They glisten the light. Some wines, though, are supposed to be opaque. And uh, But when they're murky, when a wine's murky, that's probably something's wrong. It's a wine gone bad. But... Uh, same thing, like bubbles are good in a sparkling wine, but if you're in a table wine, it has bubbles, something something went wrong there. Um, fermentation wasn't finished, there was residual sugar in the wine, and it's causing those bubbles. All right, well, there you go. Thanks to our friends over at Tasting Table for compiling that list of things. Way to tell if your wine is gone bad. What else? Oh, I went to the Corolla family barbecue over the weekend. You know, I, I do a regular spot on the Adam Corolla show, and once a year they have the Corolla family barbecue. A lot of the super fans come. They they fly in from all over the world to attend, and they bands. The band Lit played. My own worst enemy. You know that song? They played there. I was the MC. I didn't know I was going to be the MC, but I was. I introduced all the bands. I had a great time, and I got to hang out with a lot of the fans there. I posted some stuff on my Instagram at the Imbiber. You can go check it out. I hung with Paul, Brian, Gina, Ace, the crew. Also, my good friends from Batiste Rum were there pouring drinks. They were not; they were pouring Batiste Rum and Fresh Victor drinks made with them both. And you know, they're friends of the show. Uh, Batiste Rum, especially first sustainable American craft rum. They have a proprietary production process from ground to finished bottle. They reviewed and validated is carbon negative. Carbon negative. There's, it's crazy. In a natural production without the purchase of carbon offsets. Who wants to buy carbon offsets? You can't even get them on Amazon. It's a pain in the ass to get them. By the way, you think I'm just talking to you, but I'm actually working an ad in right here. See how sly I am. But it's for Batiste. Come on. We love them. Maybe 100% pure, fresh cane juice. 
unlike molasses or sugar crystals. If you like your tequila 100% gave, you're going to love your rum, 100% cane juice. And I was talking to my boy John out there. He owns the brand. And I said, John, let's step it up. Let's have a deal for my listeners. So guess what? We do have one. 15% off all orders. That's right. For you. Just because I had a good time at the Corolla Family Barbecue and John had a great time, we're throwing along some goodwill. So get this deal. You got to go to BatisteRum.com. That's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. Load up on the rum and enter code WWD15 at checkout. WWD15 at checkout. I'll get you 15% off. Batiste Rum's awesome, my friends. It's proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow, but a reality today. And as mentioned, they were making some of those Batiste Rum drinks with Fresh Victor. And what's going on with Fresh Victor? Summer's here, friends, and summer's the time for sipping on cool, refreshing cocktails made with the best ingredients. I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. You buy the finest spirits in the world to make craft cocktails at home, but if you use crap mixers, you're going to get crap drinks. Let's face it, whipping up cocktails at home can be a real pain in the ass, and an expensive pain in the ass at that. I always have time to go out and get fruits and veggies and squeeze them and juice them or I don't anyway, and that's why I am all about Fresh Victor. Fresh Victor is a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that make the best drinks as conveniently and consistently as possible. All of the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificiality, none. And the bonus of a fresh mixer over a ready-made canned cocktail is not just the jump in quality and freshness, which is huge, but the fun of actually making yourself and your guests a kick-ass drink. And right now, Fresh Victor is offering a sweet summertime special exclusively for you listeners. What we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Simply go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart with these awesome mixers. Get all the flavors. Try them all. And at checkout, enter code WWD20, WWD20, to get 20% off your order. Don't hesitate. Now is the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. You bug! Hey, you thank you! You better go! I'm gonna go! If you do that! Joining me now is the co-founder of a a distillery that I'm a big fan of. Uh, He's also the vice president of strategic development and of strategy. You can't just go in willy-nilly in this business. You'll fail. And he'll tell you all about that in a second. Jay Ersman, how are you, Jay? Hello, Dan. I'm doing okay. Good to see you, man. Just okay? I thought you'd be very excited to see me. I'm excited to see you. Uh, I, I just got back from summer vacation and I brought back with me a, a common cold. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm a little stuffed up. Uh, uh, not so stuffed up. I can't enjoy whiskey now and then, but hey, at least it's not COVID, right? That's right. Good. Con- um, congrats on not having COVID and on having vacation. What's that like? I haven't had one of those in a while. Now, a while. Let, let's talk about New Riff first. I'm excited to talk to you, man, because I kind of want to geek out on some stuff. There, There's some, some techniques and things that I really want to get into that I feel like Perhaps we don't, you know, we do a lot of this on the show, but we don't, 
really dive in. So, so first off, just so people know about New Riff, it's a brand that was established in 2014. A guy named Ken Lewis was the was the main founder. Is that what you say? Or he's the guy that kind of got right. the, got the ball yeah. rolling uh, up in the northern part of Kentucky. Am I getting all that right? You got it right. Yeah, we're in northern Kentucky, Newport, Kentucky, which is across the river from Cincinnati. So in in terms of metropolitan market, we are in greater Cincinnati. And again, it's an independently owned brand. And I, you know, look, with all due respect to our friends at the big boys who we we have on a lot, I love it. I love that, you know, there's still some mom and pop shops out there, at least until Diageo or Pernod Ricard or swoops in and buys you eventually, which will happen, right? I mean, that's the no, Dan, n- no. never going to happen. No, no, I, I would. I, th- th- that is not the plan at all. Jay, you didn't uh, get the memo. Are, you didn't get the memo, and that's what's happening. Yeah, Dan, we are independently owned, and we are going to stay that way. The, the way the way I put it is, if we wanted to be sold, there are things that you do as a company like us which we have seen all these other companies like us do that wanted to be sold. And they did a very good job of that. And if we were trying to do that, then we are doing a terrible job because we are not doing any of those things. Okay. It's a, it's a brand that, again, we're talking eight years, but it's a brand that has come on and been really well received. You're I, you're involved in a lot of the the festivals and things that are going on. I just noticed that you guys are going to be at the uh, Bourbon and Beyond Festival in in Louisville in uh, September, right? Yep, yep. Getting back to that, I'll be there too. So we'll be hanging there for sure, Jay. But how is that now? Just kind of getting back out after the two years of shit that we've had. I mean, just being able to go out and mingle with consumers again and, and go on premise and, and see the bartenders and the people that are helping to drive the brand. Yeah, you bet. Everyone is, is chomping at the bit. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I won't say open season. There are still some people who are uh, uh, kind of catching up and, and reopening. But uh, from the sales perspective, we are traveling the country again and driving hither and yon to uh, uh, support our markets and meet our people and and sell our wares. Um, it's uh, it, it feels great to, to be back back more and more to whatever the new normal is uh, and uh, meet with uh, with a hungry well I should say thirsty I suppose uh, populace once again. Talk about your wares. You do bourbon. You do rye. You've got some gins. But let's let's focus in on the whiskey first. You know I I'm a big fan of the the bottles. Okay. And on the bottle, emblazoned, uh, not even emblazoned, is is, uh, embossed into the glass. You're very proud of the fact that you're bottled in bond and that that you're made without chill filtration. And I talked about wanting to geek out a little bit with you. So let's start with chill filtration, okay? So people know all whiskey is filtered before bottling to remove stuff that comes from the barrel, okay? Chill filtration is a, I guess, a, a more advanced process of this where they, they're they trying to remove chemical compounds, right? Am I getting that right, Jay? Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. Like fatty acids and right. things that, that mm-hmm. can clump together, low temperatures, and it can also cause a, a sort of a cloudiness or a, a haze in the whiskey. So some of it, it, a lot of it could be considered cosmetic, right? Why you're going to do that? That's right. I, I describe it as a cosmetic filtration. 
uh, for spirits and the vast majority of whiskey and all other kinds of spirits, rums and, and, and uh, brandies and, and you name it, a, a whole lot of that undergoes some kind of filtration. The, the current uh, typical method is chill filtration. There are other filtration methods like activated carbon or diatomaceous earth or other ways of getting that stuff out. But it's a cosmetic filtration. The real reasons for it, though, go beyond mere cosmetics. Uh, there are two conditions that cause some of those, uh, those, those compounds, those constituent elements you just mentioned, fatty acids are one of them, uh, to, to form a haze in the bottle. And one is being chilled. Um, and so in the event that a consumer put a bottle in the freezer, it would chill up. But that's not the real reason that so many companies do it, because the other situation that causes uh, the whiskey to throw a haze is when you add water. And that is what especially the large companies are really wanting to do is take a whiskey from whatever the barrel proof is, might be a typical Kentucky bourbon barrel proof aged four to six years old. It might be 130 proof to take that all the way down to 95 or 90 proof or 80 proof or 86 proof. Uh, adding all that water will cause this cloudiness to happen. And that's what they really want to do is sell you more and more water. Um, and there's a, there's a place and time for that. I don't mean that we should never have any 80 proof bourbons. Uh, there's a, like I say, a, a place in time, but unfortunately, when you do that, that filtration, you also remove, or the word I use is attenuate. You bring down a little bit, sometimes a lot, everything we like about a whiskey. Oh, I like when, I like when you throw out the big words there, attenuate. I got one <laughs> for you. You know what those clumps, those fatty acids clumps are called? Go ahead. Isn't it flocculation? Isn't that flock? Flocculation? Yes, that, Isn't that yes, what they call it? Yep, yep, yep. That's that's often what we call it. Flocculation can return refer to uh, a whole lot of different uh, things. Sorry, uh, I interrupted. I just wanted to show how big yes, my brain is too. I got a big brain. Flocculation is is what it's really called, and and we call it flock for short. So if you find a bottle in the market with one of these, you can hold it up and say to someone, "It's got a little flock." By the way, when I was raised Catholic, and <laughs> you did not want to get caught flocculating when you were young, that was a no, sin, yeah. big sin. No flocculation. All right, Jake, go ahead. Back to the point. My my bad. Right on. So um, it, it attenuates everything we love about a whiskey. The color uh, is diminished. Uh, certainly the flavor and the aroma are diminished or attenuated. The texture, Dan, the texture is attenuated. And that's very important. Uh, New Riff has got in our whiskeys big, creamy, rich mouthfeel. Coats your mouth with the flavor of our whiskeys. Uh, that's partly due to uh, our production processes and especially to our aquifer water supply that gives us a, a big boned water that becomes the whiskey someday. But a huge amount of our mouthfeel is due to being unfiltered, to, to having no chill filtration. So without chill filtration, we retain all of those good things from the barrel all the way to the glass. Let me say this though, Jay, there sure. are some distillers, I guess the case, the argument that they would make for chill filtration beyond being able to put water in it and 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 and, and get more uh, yield is that you've got uh, these sort of what they call long chain esters uh, and that, that you remove those and that you're, by doing that, you're, you're showcasing elements of, of the, the, the whiskey flavor profile that might be masked by that. Is that, you don't agree with that? Well, uh, not, not for new riff's sake. No. Um, yes, that's, that's an option. Filtration can be used as a tool to sculpt flavor if, if you should so desire. I've been told on uh, more than one occasion by um, a, uh, <coughs> pardon me, like I said, getting over a cold. That's all right. By um, quality control personnel in the whiskey industry uh, about how useful um, filtration is to 
sort of knock down some off flavors. You know, well, what if you have a, a batch of whiskey that's uh, got a few problems, maybe needs to age a little longer. Uh, you you want to clean that up, uh, take out some of the funky parts. To which my reply is very cheekily, and they don't like this. Well, if you didn't make such shite whiskey in the first place, you wouldn't have that problem, would you? Yes, it, it can be used as a as a flavor sculptor, but I, I think what, what moves us at New Rift to not be chill filtered is to let the whiskey speak as it is out of the fermenter, out of the still, out of the barrel, and not go about um, adjusting it and taking out flavors that were, in a sense, sort of honestly made in that fermentation. The other thing, big, uh, you wear sort of a badge of honor there at New Riff, is that you are using what's called the Kentucky Regiment, uh, Regiment and we're going to start with sour mash now i just we recently did a show with our friends i'm sure they're friends of yours as well over at michter's and they got a they just got a sour mash expression out i don't know that the average uh whiskey consumer quite understands what that means what sour mash means can you tell us a little bit about the process of incorporating sour mash into your whiskeys Sure. So sour mashing is the um, sort of time-honored technique that was birthed largely out of Kentucky's practices. Um, it's it's one of the sort of um, contributions that Kentucky-style production has made to the world of whiskey. And um, it involves holding back some of the yesterday's or the prior batches, uh, what we call stillage. This is... Uh, what goes through the still after the alcohol is taken out and it comes out, shall we say, the bottom of the still and is uh, is the, the spent grains. We retain a portion of that and it goes into um, uh, the next batch. <laughs> I love that you're hanging in. It's all right, man. I, by the way, I can, if you want to cough, I'll cut it out. Let me get some water, Dan. Hang on yeah, a second. Yeah, take your time. And now a word from one of our dream sponsors, Peel's Beer, circa 1950s. My name is George. I don't like a beer intended for ladies. I like a light beer, brewed for men. Have a belt of Peel's Honest Beer. Discover a light beer, brewed for men. My name is Rita. I don't like a beer intended for ladies. I like a light beer, brewed for men. Do have a belt of Peel's Honest Beer. Discover a light beer, brewed for men. So everybody listening, Jay is being a trooper here. He's uh, this throat thing is uh, threatening to take him down, but I, I don't, I don't think it's going to man. I, I think you're gonna, you're gonna make it. So, right, so, so you were um, saying about you were saying about uh, sour mash, sour mashing, right? It's it's one of Kentucky's contributions to the world of whiskey making, and uh, it, it, it there's a certain amount of practicality in it. For example, uh, that liquid can go into the next mash and save you on some liquid, save you on, on your water bill, I suppose. It's hot because it's gone through the still. And so it saves you some energy. That's an amount of liquid that you don't have to heat up. Um, people sometimes compare it to sourdough bread making. That's really not a, the best analogy because a sourdough starter in bread making and baking is biologically active, is full of, of uh, yeast and, and, and the, the culture, the mother, they call it, that forms that sourdough bread. Whereas uh, sour mash uh, is, is what we call the back set. 
uh, is uh, biologically inert. It's been steamed. And so all the yeast and any lactic acid bacteria and anything else that was in there is, uh, is, is inactive. Um, but we were brought up by the people who taught us to make whiskey uh, and certainly in the Kentucky um, industry more widely that sour mash was, was key to getting uh, traditional Kentucky bourbon flavor. And uh, we follow that uh, religiously. It does add in our experience an additional layer of flavor uh, in the whiskey that uh, even the, the, the finer master distillers in the state are at some point throw their hands up and say, I'm not fully sure why it does what it does. Um, but it is uh, uh, part and parcel of how we make uh, whiskey in Kentucky. Well, I, I got to say, I'm I'm a fan of, I, you know, I've been drinking it for a few years now. And, and so, for instance, the the Kentucky straight bourbon, which I just had the other night, I, you mentioned earlier that I think the thing that jumps out the most is really that sort of big, muscular, almost mouth feel, right? It's 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 kind of unlike a lot a lot of what you're going to get out there on the market. I mean, it really is striking. Just you feel like you're drinking something substantial. And when I say that, I don't mean that you're getting overwhelmed by alcohol or anything. It's just that mouth feel is is really kind of unique. And and then I was getting you know a lot of vanilla. Uh, not a lot of vanilla, but getting some vanilla in there that I picked up. But you, you've got a heavy rye content in that Kentucky straight bourbon as well, right? We do thirty percent rye in the bourbon. And what's your what's your corn on that? Sixty uh, percent corn, and I'm sorry, sixty five corn and five percent malted barley. So okay. a, a genuinely high rye uh, bourbon. Yeah, so it's it's got that. You know, there's a little, it's, there's some pepper on there on the sort of on the back end, I guess, but a lot of, a lot going on. You know, there, I, I made some, that was like cinnamon. I wrote down, I got some almost like a, like, like red fruit, like, you know, dark fruit flavor happening. But then that, that spice on the back end, which I thought was, was great. What, what is it? What's the, the, the Kentucky straight bourbon? What's that go for? What's the price on that? Our bottled and bond bourbon is uh, MSRP of thirty nine ninety nine. I mean that it's just a great deal for something like Thank that. Thank you. you know, we, just, we, you know, coming out of uh, a retail tradition ourselves at the party source, we we know how to price things such that people will buy them again and again. I'm sure we could get uh, a lot more money for the whiskey. We would rather sell more bottles uh, and and have it always be on somebody's bar than than to be a, a once a year treat or a, a try it one time kind of a splurge. Um, so yeah, 40 bucks and up is our uh, portfolio. The next thing I want to geek a little bit about is just tell us as succinctly and definitively as you can, what does it mean when you have a single barrel bourbon whiskey? Obviously, as the name implies, it's coming from one barrel, but explain how you're able to do a high volume with single barrel. <laughs> Great question. How are we able to put out all those single barrels? Um, I don't know what other companies do. A, a large uh, portion of our output is sold, both bourbon and rye, as single barrel. Um, I guess the um, uh, obviously the quality has to be there, and and I don't I can't speak for other people that maybe they don't have enough barrels that make that um, sort of make that that threshold to become a single barrel. But I suspect they probably do. Um, it's uh, I think the number one thing you have to have is is will is <laughs> yeah. simply the sheer will to do it. We had, again, in our years in retail in Kentucky, 
such a rich, rich experience with, with single barrels, with private barrels. All these projects we did with Kentucky's leading distilleries, uh, the, our own experiments that we did, we sometimes helped distillers launch their private barrel series. And so we wanted to take that in a really robust way to our consumers and our customers and have, have fun with that. Um, yes, we, we, the, the, our core products, our flagships are, uh, are the bottled and bond bourbon and bottled and bond rye. Uh, the dirty secret is, uh, Dan, that in certain markets over the years, sometimes our single barrel bourbon has outsold the bonded bourbon. I don't think that's quite the case now, but from time to time and from place to place, that's our, our leading seller. Um, and it's, it's really simply a, a, a desire to do that and connect with people over the concept uh, birthed in 1984 by uh, Elmer T. Lee with Blanton's of, of uh, single barrel bourbon, single, single cast. These, these expressions were already known in Scotland, but uh, they hadn't been done in, in uh, Kentucky anymore or, or before. And uh, we, we wanted to connect with people over that. It's a great way to sell a barrel. It's uh, a great way to build sometimes a friend, a customer for life, to have them into the distillery and have a, a really great and, and well done, well curated, if you will, uh, single barrel, private barrel experience. Uh, we just saw that as, as something in our past that would really help us in the future. And, and it has. You're winning a lot of awards. You, you talked about the, you know, the, the, the single barrel won double, double gold at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, which I used to be a judge there. I, I, I've fallen out of love. I don't like competitions, Jay. I don't like, but not so much the, 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 the actual spirit competitions. It's the bartending competitions. It's things like that where you're pitting bartenders. Cause I always feel like, well, then you just end up with a bunch of unhappy bartenders that lost, but it's so <laughs> subjective. But here, but the bottom line is when you start winning as many awards and at such a high level as you guys are winning, and I can tell you from a personal experience with San Francisco, it is some of the, the best palettes in the world. Mm-hmm. And me, uh, and and it's blind. It's all blind. We don't know. You're you're given very very basic details about what you're having, and you're drinking it. And to to win that and to take double gold is 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 you know a real feather in the cap. Thank you. We we think so. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And 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 again at the at the price point that you're at, it's like man. You. But here I want to ask you this. So much about what you do is traditional. You are, you are stewards of all that have come before you. And I think that's fabulous, but the name's a little incongruous with that. Right. So it's Ooh. new. I was expecting, you would think new riff would be like, fuck it, man. We're aging it in square boxes and we're, you know, <laughs> and we're going to have a band sing to our whiskey. So we're, let's talk a little bit about the, the origin of the name. Right. Great question, uh, uh, Dan. And I love how you approach that. Um, and before I get into where the name really came from, I, I totally hear you on on what is New Riff. And as we were going about our task for all those years, four years before releasing our own whiskey, I found myself wondering sometimes, what's, what is the Riff? What is the New Riff that we're doing? Because we are making, in, in many ways, a relatively traditional process. Uh, the recipes are sort of modern. They are high rye. They are uh, an amount of rye that was not common uh, both in the rye whiskey and in the bourbon that was not common, you know, before prohibition or or post World War II, or not all that common in the rest of the industry. Uh, but that aside, we're we're not reinventing the wheel. We're not doing you know accelerated space age aging with with labs and and rotators and and pressure cookers and all the kind of stuff that people are doing these days. We're not doing those things. Um, 
and and I found myself wondering sometimes, what is the new riff? And the the riff is is really this is going to sound a, a tad corny, and it might even get cornier in a minute, but it, it's more in what is in our hearts and minds making the stuff. What kind of an attitude do we come to uh, with the whiskey? Um, there are riffs we have released that are, uh, shall I say, gentle riffs or a, or a small riff, uh, and yet might be really meaningful. For example, joining the concept of bottled without chill filtration with the 1897 vintage concept of bottled in bond. Right. We take bottled and bond 1897, the world's highest standard for quality in a spirit and raise it to a new level, an even higher level of quality by committing to a modernist quality precept like no chill filtration. That was a, a riff. That was our riff on bottled and bond. What do you do to bottled and bond? It's already the highest in the in the world. Well, we just took it one step higher with with our commitment to no chill filtration. So uh, down the road, sometimes some of these riffs are are heavier and heavier and heavier. I'm playing air guitar right now, but <laughs> but uh, the riffs get heavier. Uh, it's it's not on the market right now, but a, a couple of years ago, we released a whiskey called Backsetter, which uh, exploited the sour mash technique to put a peated malted barley backset into a bourbon and a rye. That's, that is really interesting. I got to get me a bottle of that. Who do you got to know I, over it, there? I, 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 uh, well, I, I have a bottle here in my, uh, layer. I might, well, I, I can... might have to come, by the way, that, that does bring me to what I want to add. I might have to just come visit. I, I will be in Kentucky in, in September for bourbon and beyond. You've got a, you've got a, an experience center there. Is it safe to assume everything's back up and running now at full capacity? You've got, you got people coming in visiting. Oh yeah. 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 We're, we're back to, back to normal. Although, uh, we, we still can't take uh, uh, walk-ins for tours. The tours are, are so busy and so popular, so in demand that they're all booked up and only booked online. Um, okay. So, and by yes, the way, everybody, come. you want to go, you want to go to new riff and that's R I F F distilling.com. A lot of this information will be there for the experience center and, and also to where to get the the whiskey and got a little gin going now too. Talk about new riffs. You got a Kentucky wild gin, and uh, a bourbon barreled gin. Tell us a little bit about that. Right on. Well, um, thanks, Dan. I'm, I'm the, the creator of the gin. It was uh, a project that that uh, I was handed and spearheaded when uh, we started up in 2014. I'm an old gin lover. I'm a gin nut. My dad is a gin nut. He's a martini man. He raised me right. And Wait, uh, I got to addition- stop you right there when you say that. Give me your, since you're an old, your dad, you... Traditional, what give me your you got you're going to the uh, the proverbial island, you get to bring three besides your own, you get to bring three gins with you. What are you bringing? Let's see. Well, I take our I take some Kentucky Wild, I would take um, you know, a standby like um, uh, maybe a beef eater or um, uh, Sipsmith out of London makes a very cool gin, and then I would certainly take uh, the gin that was that to, to, to give credit where it's due. Uh, served as, as some inspiration to our gin, which was the botanist uh, oh. from Brooklady on the island of Isla, a, a great whiskey region. And I saw that they were making a, a gin, not merely on the island of Isla, but out of the island of Isla with the local botanicals. And I said to myself, damn it, Kentucky has got to have a gin like that. And so that is what we made. That was the inspiration. Botanist gin. was the inspiration. Exactly. Yes, we we forage local wild botanicals here in the in the Ohio Valley in Kentucky, and come up with a local juniper. Who knew? But we've got juniper all over the freaking place. 
and we have that picked for us in the woods by foragers on ladders and cherry pickers. And uh, we put about four pounds of that into each batch of gin. It's not a gimmick. It's not, you know, we don't put in a teaspoon. Uh, we put in a local juniper and then we put in a, a, a local flavoring, an ancient flavoring in the Ohio Valley called spice bush. And the spice bush is uh, sometimes called American allspice. Okay. And it, it lends a certain piquancy uh, to the gin. And uh, by, by dint of all that, we hope to make a gin as, as was inspired to us. Um, not merely in Kentucky and distilled on our pot still uh, in the in the distillery, but out of Kentucky, out of the land we come from. You got a little kick to it too. Ninety four proof, it's, right? It's ninety four proof. I can't abide a, a weak gin, Dan. Yeah, it's it's going to hold its own, I would imagine, in a uh, in a martini or a Negroni, and uh, uh, makes I, a fantastic Negroni. I would argue. Well, I mean, it's tough because there's so much with whiskey, but boy, in terms of the just the variety and quality of drinks that per spirit boy gin really goes in so many classics that i just love like a lot of my go-to drinks have gin in it you know and and it's a funny thing because i notice sometimes gin gets a, a weird rap people say i don't like gin how do you not like gin i like vodka well you know gin's like the first flavored vodka you know that's it's, it's it's an interesting thing but but i mean obviously whiskey is the uh, the coolest cat in the room, and you guys are really doing a fantastic job there. So, what do you got? Any any news? Anything big coming down the pike that we can expect in the near future? Uh, well, we just released, um, uh, unfortunately, only for Kentucky, but uh, a uh, our first uh, sherry finished, our first wine barrel finished okay. product. We um, we approached that with a little trepidation. We didn't jump into that right away. Uh, I admire finishing techniques. We have have uh, done some in our in our careers before, but it, it wasn't something that we wanted to just jump into. Everybody and their sister out there is making barrel finishes, and uh, and so we, we we if we ever did one, it had to it had to have a riff. You know, it had to have a, a, a meaning for existing beyond just creating another skew to sell. And so we make a one hundred percent malted rye whiskey, which is fantastic stuff. And we came to think of that, came to view it as a, a malt whiskey first, a whiskey made from malted grains okay. and a rye whiskey second. And then that led us to wonder, well, if it's a malt whiskey first, hmm, maybe we should do to it what other people do to malt whiskeys, ergo, put them in a, in a sherry cask. And so we did a finish on that. And uh, it was uh, successful enough and delicious enough and satisfying enough of a riff that we're going to make some more. <laughs> and so... Uh, sometime uh, approximately this time next year, maybe, uh, maybe next fall, we will uh, have a, a repeat of that. Uh, and it may, may be different too. I don't know. But uh, the, the proof of concept that our malted rye marries very nicely with, with wine casks was, uh, was obtained in that uh, release. But what I like is you are showing some restraint because that's not always the case in the whiskey business. I think when brands started to see the potential for new expressions, meaning a lot of whiskeys, iconic whiskeys, especially they have fan bases. Right. And when you put something new out that they're going to gobble that up, right? Sight unseen. And one of the things that I sort of troubled me a little bit, as I noticed, Branko, how many fucking expressions are they going to put out? You know what I mean? Like how many new things are yep. they going to do? And some of them, you mentioned the word gimmick earlier. Some of them felt, some of them do feel like gimmicks, you know? And I, I, I appreciate it when a brand like New Riff is being judicious about what they're going to put out. And it's not just because, hey, I know if we put this out, 
all our new Riff fans are going to run to the store and get it, no matter what. And uh, I like what you guys are doing over there. Thank you. And I like that it's independent. And you heard it. Jay said it on this very show. Jay said they're never going. They're always going to be independently owned. They're never selling out to the man. And I love that. I love it. I'm holding you to that. that like like please, I have any say. I, like I, have any, I will storm into the boardroom and go, no, damn it. This sale will not go through. And here's the tape. <laughs> funny, funny you should mention it, but we actually have a board uh, of directors. And, and their number one charge is to keep the company independent. That's fantastic. Well, so we have we have put the put the the money and the 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 structure where our mouth is. There's more to it than just uh, empty air. You know, there there are those companies out there. Will it comes to mind? Or in Scotland, uh, my my beloved Springbank Distillery. Sure. When is Will it going to sell? Come on, they're going to sell out, aren't they? No, 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 no. The Colesbean family will never sell out. Uh, the Mitchell family at Springbank, they ain't going anywhere. And you attain that reputation by decades of, of, of living it, of, of walking the walk. And uh, we're only eight years old and this is the walk we're walking. And when we are 80 years old and we're all gone and, and we don't even have an interweb because it's all wired into our retinas, uh, we'll still be independent. <laughs> I hope so, my friend. Well, uh, Jay Ayersman, new rift stilling. I, uh, it, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, man. And I'm looking for, am I going to see you at uh, Bourbon and Beyond? I'm assuming you'll be out there. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what my role will, will be. Uh, I'd hope to be down there on the um, grounds somewhere rocking out. I mean, gee, what a lineup like you got Pearl Jam, Kings of Leon, Brandy Carlisle, uh, Jason Isbell, Chris Stapleton. It's going to be a fun time and I'm going to be for sure throwing back some, uh, some new riff there. Uh, Maybe on right. well, come up and see us when you're in state uh, there, Dan. Maybe on the whiskey stage. I'm winking at you right now. Maybe you know. Maybe <laughs> as the host of the whiskey stage. Well, we'll see if I am going to be that. But um, Jay, real pleasure, man. And thanks for being a trooper because uh, you folks at home can't see this. But go to at the imbiber, and I'll post a little video. Uh, Jay's actually laying in a hospital bed with an IV coming out of his arm right now. I'm kidding. Uh, but you look good. You look good. That's a, that's a rye whiskey drip uh, there. What? Yeah. Yeah. The new gin in there. Uh, but you look, you, you held up all right, man. And, and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me when you're feeling a little bit under the weather. And uh, next time we do it, uh, we'll be, hopefully you'll be feeling hale and hearty and we'll do it over some drinks in person. That'd be great, Dan. We'd love to see you. Thanks again, Jay. This is Stephen Amell, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Uh, Stephen Amell, fine actor, and he's correct. You are listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, but alas, only for a few more seconds as the show is over. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! No, it is. I'm sorry, Rambo. It is over. So we got. I want to thank uh, Jay Ayersman for joining me on the program. Of course, I want to thank you. I know you've got a lot of options out there in terms of podcasts. And you're choosing to spend time with me, and I really appreciate it. I invite you to follow me at the Imbiber on Instagram and Twitter. The podcast's Instagram is WWD underscore podcast. And again, also a reminder that July 13th, the townhouse in Venice, California, Live recording of the show featuring Brad Williams, Kim Congdon, Zane Lamprey, and other special guests. Tickets go to townhousevenice.com. You'll find them there under shows. I hope to see you. 
And uh, next episode, I believe, is Bruce Buffer. So we got that to look forward to. Bye.